Good morning, Vertical. Thank you, Andy. What a sweet guy. Have you ever had a oversight in your system? Maybe a, uh, a plan that you thought was perfect and then you realized that there was a little bit of imperfection in there once you got in the middle of it? Um, maybe you, were, you had a good role going, but there was a little idling in the middle. That's kind of where I am this morning. That's where I'm feeling on stage. Um, those of you that know, uh, we're in a bit of a transition period here, and there's a lot of exciting things going on. There's also a lot of change going on, and so it's a little weird. And I have been tasked with being the guy with the plan the past few weeks, but I don't have anything. So y'all can go home, actually. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Um, this is the week that's a bit of an oddball. And you may not have even really known that there's a lot going on because it's gone pretty smoothly lately, um, except for the fact that Ben's voice is still in the pre-roll, uh, which we still own his name, image, and likeness, so we're fine. <laughs> Legally, we're good, actually. You may not have even known stuff was, uh, was uh, changing, but this is kind of the week that I haven't been looking forward to. This is the week that it's been a bit of an anomaly because last week I finished a three-week series that I really enjoyed and I had actually been looking forward to for a few months. And next week, um, our lead pastor candidate will be in and I'm so excited that he's gonna be here. I'm stoked. I hope you guys love him. I've really enjoyed getting to know him. And then we have a My Story Matters in a couple of weeks that I'm so excited for. We'll start a new series and we're into the spring, but this week is kind of... The anomaly. This is the week that didn't fit into a series. And, and I was like, well, I'll just kind of write and we'll have a good time in the Bible and it'll be fun. And, you know, the past 10 days or so that I've been prepping for this, I did a lot of that, like, like I don't know, college PTSD flashbacks where you type and then you do the backspace thing and you have a pot of coffee. And then you type and you do the backspace thing, and you have a pot of coffee. It's kind of where I've been. Um, and so, you know, at some point this week, I decided, like, we're just going to talk about what I've been learning. Um, this has been a transition, a time of transition for me to, and I feel like God has been teaching me some things, and I'm really honestly not through all of that, to be perfectly clear. But I kind of want to spend some time where I have been in Scripture, and I'm learning, and I've learned since my time here at Vertical, that God tends to honor our vulnerability, right? That's, that's something that I see in a lot of your stories and, and from people that I've got to know here. And today I want to take some time to talk about a topic that makes me a little nervous, um, but we're going to do it anyway because I'm already up here. Today we're going to talk about change. I think it's a pertinent topic, um, you know, whether it has to do, you know, with your job like me or the people that you're spending time with. Um, I'm hoping that we've all lived enough life to have experienced change, and I feel like in many ways change is inevitable. It also brings new things, right? Change can be really beautiful, and change can also be kind of heart-wrenching at times, too. Change can look like new birth, and change can look like loss. Change can look like regression, and change can look like growth. And just being real and vulnerable with you guys, working in church work, we get to see change firsthand a lot because we get to live life with you guys. This is a building where we've had some really beautiful weddings, right? I can see people here who have been married here. We have um, baby dedications and baby showers here. And then also I can see people here who we've held, you know, funerals for their families here. Change is something that we all deal with. Um, and watching you guys over the past few years, I can tell that change, whether it's good or bad, can be hard. And I'm glad that's not just me. Um, 
I was having a conversation with Ben several weeks ago in the back. I was doing that thing where I was complaining to him about him. Do y'all do that with your friends? And I guess he had had enough, and he said something like, you know, without change, we only experience stagnation. And I was like, dang, that's smart. I think he just wanted to shut me up. But I've thought about that a lot since then, and I guess I've been realizing lately that it isn't just realizing um, that change is happening or that you're changing for the sake of change. Accepting change and growing from that means that you are accepting and figuring out why things feel different. Change in itself doesn't actually bring about growth. It's figuring out what that new stimulation is. And so just to kind of get things started in the Bible this morning, a verse that passage that I've kind of been hanging on to the last six months or a year comes from James 1, and you've heard me mention it a lot the last few weeks, but it starts like this in verse 3, the testing of your faith produces perseverance. That's been a big word for me the past year or so. It's been a big word for me probably for the last eight or nine years, actually. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing not lacking anything. But I've noticed, and I wonder if you do too, that tests are not like they were when we were in school anymore, right? There's no teacher in homeroom that's going to pull up that test whenever time is out. Sure, God is in charge, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he always takes charge, and that has been a hard thing for me to learn over the past few months. I've spent a lot of time just driving down the road and saying, like, I wish you would just pick this up and handle it. Anybody else? Has anybody else ever been there? Why don't you take charge, God? I know you're in charge. But the reality is that I could sit at my desk with my head down for years and years and years and never make any progress towards this perseverance until I actually tell him, take this. And so this morning, to pull us into a place where we are actually doing a little bit of self-reflection, a little bit of figuring out where we are before we jump into this story that Jesus tells us this morning, I want to ask you a question that's something that I've been writing on lately. What is preventing you, what is preventing us from progress? What spiritual stressors have maybe we've put on the back burner and said, that's future Austin's problem? What are the issues that you never got resolved, the things that you never quite took care of and you went ahead and put in the shed for a later date not to be pulled back out? I've made the mistake of spending time with people who are really aware of their problems and thinking that they were just stuck and what I'm coming to realize in this last year is that we have to be really familiar with the tests in front of us or we're never going to be able to move forward. Jesus says some really smart things about this, and we're going to be talking about another parable this morning, and it's one that at the beginning of the year, I didn't really know how we were going to teach, but it kind of has just fallen into this this week, and I'm actually really excited that God does things like that because I didn't know what I was going to do with it. Before we do that, I do want to bring up another man, somebody that I've been reading lately that I think is going to help us put ourselves in this story that Jesus tells us. He's a guy named Phil Stutz. 
He's a psychologist, he's a therapist, and he wrote a book on how to pull these things back out of that shed, the things that we maybe put off for a later date, and get them back into the daylight. Spoiler alert, Jesus does say smart things about this. We're getting there, but Stutz describes this part of ourselves, the part of ourselves that wants to hide hard things away as the guy with the gun. And I like that. It sticks in my brain. Like the guy on the street who already has us held up and is taking our billfold or our purse before we even know that he's on us, Stutz tells us that this part of ourself is a thing that actually pulls these things back out and helps them, makes them afflict us, right? We think that we've hidden these parts of ourselves away to where they're not affecting us anymore, but what he's saying is this guy with the gun are the parts of ourselves that we never actually deal with. I like a quote that he has on this. I think it's going to help us understand Jesus a little better. Stutt says this, The guy with the gun is forcing you to make the choice that he wants you to make, not the choice that connects you to life. His goal is to deaden you and to take you away from your freedom to take your future. He doesn't want your money. He, doesn't want, or he wants your passion, your inspiration, your potential all to himself. In Christian cultures, we might call this our human nature. We might even attribute this to the enemy. But regardless, this part of ourself is at work in our lives, especially when change is at hand. It'll bait us into self-gratification, lethargy, even perpetual hurt feelings. And none of this is conducive to following Jesus well. This part of ourselves threatens to overrule and override our ability to grow in Jesus if we don't actually learn how to label those things. And so I want you to think, before we move on, before we get into Jesus' words on this, we have to know ourselves pretty well. Where does this show up for you? Where does this show up for you? When you wake up at four in the morning and you're replaying conversations in your head, where do you go? What relationships show up? When you think about the things that you have not solved for yourself and they're questions that you're still asking, what comes to mind? Stutz tells us that the best way to pick this out is when we realize that we are experiencing a lot of unnecessary pain. There's necessary pain, and it's some of the things that we talked about earlier, like when you lose a loved one or you're given a really bad diagnosis, it's like those are real things we should feel pain over. This unnecessary pain, though, this thing that this guy with the gun introduces is a problem that we don't need to have, and he has us searching for solutions that we don't need. We're spending time on this instead of growing. Jesus puts this really plainly in a parable. And it's one that I don't know that I ever actually heard until this year. But it's the thing that bridges this dilemma, this self-help thing that we have, even regulation and good things like therapy. It helps bridge that to our growth in Jesus. It makes all these practical things turn into spiritual things when we introduce it in there. And I love the way that Jesus does this. Because it doesn't give us a stance of being inactive, it pulls us into decisive action. And that's what we need as followers of Christ. And it's in this place in this story where we learn about a word, and that word is persistence. That's kind of been my word lately. So I want to jump in, in keeping with the parables that we've been doing so far this year, and maybe even pointing to this grit factor that I've been talking about the past few weeks. 
I want to jump into Luke chapter 18. Luke 18, verse 1, it says this. Now he, being Jesus, told them, the disciples, a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. That phrase, give up, is one that kind of stabs me right off the bat, right? This idea that we could just give up on things. And he talks to the disciples about this a lot. Like, who do you think I am? Are you planning on dropping this? And we see that even after Easter when Jesus shows up to them again. We see this in a theme when he's talking to Peter. Verse 2, it says, There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people. That's how I'm thinking about my anxiety lately. My anxiety does not fear God and it does not respect me. This judge kind of plays this part for us in this story that Jesus is telling. He says, there's a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people and he was dealing with a widow. A widow would be the poorest person, the you know, most helpless person. This widow in the town that kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. Now, I don't know if this judge was looking for a bribe or what he wanted, but for a while he was unwilling. But later he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or respect people, yet this widow keeps pestering me. So I'm going to give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. I love this. I love what Jesus is doing. We'll finish this passage in just a second. But one thing that I notice about this widow is that she is very aware of who her adversary is. And she is continually stepping into this role where she is bringing it up to the one person who can actually do something about it. And so before we press on, I want to know, do you know who your adversary is? We give a lot of credit to the enemy. I think a lot of times we give him way too much credit. Do you know who your adversary is? Do you know the things that are holding you back? Do you know the things that you haven't wanted to touch with a 10-foot pole because they scare you? I think that that's the first lesson that we learn from this widow is that she was not willing to leave things unattended. She knew who her adversary was and she did not care that the judge was crooked. She wanted this dealt with. We pick back up in verse 6. It says, Then the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. You see, so much in Scripture, we're learning who God is and what God is like and the things that describe God. But Jesus is actually very intent in this passage on making sure that we know what God is not like. Because so many of us have spent a lot of time in our life coming up with misconceptions about who Jesus is. Number one, he doesn't care about me anymore. Number two, those things that I have done have actually changed his opinion of me. Number three, I could actually do something to separate myself from him after we started this relationship. But what God is telling us through Jesus in this moment is this. If you cry out, he will not delay in helping us. I tell you, I will swiftly grant them justice. I really love the simplicity of this, you know. 
I spent weeks talking about these parables, and I made like a two-sentence parable into three weeks of content, and it was really complicated in some places. But in this one, we see it is very, very simple. If you cry out, if you persistently pray correctly, it has an effect. There is something that comes out of it. There's something good that comes out of this scenario. And this story has brought up a big question for me, and this is actually where we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning. Whether it's in the midst of change or in identifying that guy with the gun from my past, what does practical persistence look like when it comes to our prayer life? Yeah, I don't know about you, but I haven't thought a lot about prayer in my life. I think I just thought it was really, really simple. And in a lot of ways, it is simple. You just talk to God. That's what they told me in Sunday school, right? I never knew that you had to be disciplined about it. I never knew that it was something that you had to consciously make a choice to do, you know? I was told, in, like, pray without ceasing, and I was like, I don't really know what that necessarily means. There's a, there's a practice to this. There's a discipline to this. That's actually something that I learned from Chris Grote, who was on stage just a minute ago. There are people that I've come in contact with in my time here at Vertical who are very, very good about this. And I don't have everything figured out. I'm only a 29-year-old guy. I don't, I, you, most of you have lived more life than I have. But I do see a couple of things from the people in Scripture, from the stories of people in Scripture, where I think they are getting this prayer thing correctly. And so I want to give you those notes this morning, and I actually just really want to open up a conversation on what does it look like when we are praying well? How do we know that this is having an effect on us? What does this persistence look like practically? The first is this. We stop allowing other, we stop allowing our growth to be gutted by others. I think that's one way that we know that our prayer life is working. That's one way that we know that we are being persistent. That's one way that we know this is actually having an effect. And it's true that one of the most beautiful parts of the Christian life is the community that we get to enjoy in the church and with fellow people who are trying to follow Christ. But also we see this a lot of times that we start to inherit other people's problems. We start to take on their growth patterns. We start to rely on their growth for our own sake. Galatians chapter 1 is really clear on this, and it's something that I've been reading a lot lately. That the order of operations is persistent prayer to God, and then we're pleasing people. It's spending time with him and then taking that back to the people who we are there to support. We can't reverse those or we're going to suffer. Codependency has a tendency to harpoon our dependence on him. And so I want you to think, like, is your spiritual life, is our spiritual life predicated on another person? This is something that I had, to, I had to think about, and maybe a lot of us are having to think about that whenever we make a lead pastor change. It would be very natural for someone who has been the lead pastor of a church for years at a time, the whole time that you've been attending a church, for him to be the barometer of your growth for that period of time. That does not work. It doesn't work. There's going to be a man on stage next week who's going to probably become our next lead pastor, and he's a good dude. He is not going to be the thing that is growing you, though. There is a personal responsibility to this, and Galatians makes that very clear. 
The second thing that I think we learn is this, and it, it deals less with stopping something and actually becomes starting something. We start to become absorbed with the process. It's that thing where you actually love a workout plan or a diet is actually working or a relationship is working and you stop thinking about marriage and you start thinking about, man, it's just really fun to spend time with this person. That is what we learn when prayer is actually working, when it's becoming persistence and becoming a lifestyle, something that we are really leaning into, it becomes less about, well, I get to be there one day, I get to spend time with him one day, and it actually becomes he is here with me right now. This is one of the hardest things in the world for me to do. But I know that that comes from a place of anxiety and not capability. You see, a lot of times, I don't actually check in with him. I'm like, yeah, I'm actually gonna be with him one day, but for right now, I've got this handled. And then we see this in Philippians chapter two, this description of Jesus that Paul writes to his friends at Philippi, who kind of famously thought that they had it all figured out. In Philippians chapter two, verse five, it says this, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus who existing in the form of God, even though he was God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, even he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant and taking on the likeness of humanity. I think that for a long time I had a misconception that humility was acting like I wasn't capable, that I didn't know what was going on or didn't know anything. In reality, humility means that I understand I didn't come up with these answers myself. I spent a lot of time with him and that's why I know what we're doing. It takes a lot of prayer and a lifetime of persistence. And I think that you've probably found that to be the same. Kind of winding down the morning, something that I've been thinking a lot since that Sunday is, before Ben left, he gave a talk on the things that he had learned about himself since he had been at Vertical. And uh, to be honest, that Sunday made me kind of uncomfortable. I didn't really like it. Because I love him. And I was sitting in the back and, you know, I was just uncomfortable. But I have been thinking a lot about what, how would I answer that question? What have I learned in my time here, you know? I guess I've been here for four or five years at this point. And I wrote down, I've learned that God's provision is his honoring of our persistence. Like I said, persistence has been a big word for me. From the greeters to the volunteers to the staff here at Vertical, time and time again, I've heard a lot of stories of that gritty faith. And the fact that in our persistence and our believing that he will provide, ultimately that's what we see at the end of the story. And I see that in so many of your stories in the time that I get to spend with you. And so I wanna encourage you, if you're experiencing change, if it may not even be here, if you're experiencing change or maybe you lately have been dipping into that labeling process of the guy with the gun, the things that you haven't actually dealt with in your past, I would encourage you that this is the place to do that. And don't let that go unattended. God has big intentions for your story. We just have to be willing to be persistent in asking him about that. And so if you're here and that's you, I wanna encourage you, we don't take enough time to do this, reach out. In front of you on those seats, there's a little card that says next steps and you can follow the instructions there. Honestly, you can just write your biography on there. That's okay too. But drop that in that box out there. 
The reason that is there is because it isn't necessarily my job to sit up here on this stage and talk, and it's not the staff's job to just be like really holy people. That's not the point of the volunteer base here. We are here because we want to connect you with God's plan for your life. And we believe that that comes about by being in community and sharing our stories and persistently praying together. Don't let that feeling lie. Don't put it off. Because if we continue to put it off, it could be years before we pick it back up. We want to be a church that isn't just about the things that we're saying. We want to be a church that is about the things that we are doing. And we get to do life together. That's the beautiful part of this. I want to take some time to pray for you because I know change is tough and uh, I have been gifted in having a lot of people tell me that they're praying for me lately and I really appreciate that. But if you're here, I do want to encourage you. Those cards are for you. My time is for you. Grab me in the lobby. We have a whole volunteer base who is here for you. That's our job and uh, we love you and we take a lot of pleasure in getting to do that. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I want to pray for discernment to understand uh, your teaching, even when it's simple. Um, And I consistently want to pray for the courage to apply it, God. It can be a scary thing to look back in our past and label the places where we have been harmed. And we thank you for the gifts of counseling and therapy and friends and all the things that you've given us to help us do that but it takes this initial first step God and my prayer for the people at vertical right now in in between series is that you would give us courage to step forward and ask what you want for us what you want for us out of our own story to be persistent in stepping forward God your word is true that if even this crooked judge will come around and and do justice, God, you will give our story the justice that we need. Help us to remember that. Help us to remember that you are a good God. You are not a God who is judging us from high above us. Your story is one of love, and we thank you for that. God, we love you, and we praise you. Amen. Guys, before we dismiss, I have been tasked with reminding you, or Rushma may have my head, that we do have a fundraiser next week. There's a lot going on next week, but um, maybe even more so important than a lead pastor candidate is getting to talk about the missions that we are a part of. The world is opening back up, thank God. And people are getting to go overseas again, and we're excited for this. So next week, we're going to be starting um, with this lunch. Burgers and Blues food truck will be out here, and the money from that goes towards our mission partners in Bangladesh. I do know that there is already a trip planned for this spring, and more are coming. So I'm excited for that. We hope you join us for lunch next week. We'll see you next week. We love you. Have a great one.